Today's pod, we are talking rookie fantasy values. Now that the draft is finished, who are the rookies to gamble on in fantasy football this season? We also discuss Tebow mania. What does this mean exactly for the Jaguars? And should we even care about any of this? And of course, it wouldn't be us if we didn't discuss the Aaron Rodgers saga and where we're at with everything right now. Today, it's JC, Kurt, Derek, Marcus, and myself, Drew Forbes, on the mic today. Thank you for joining us, Degenerates. Let's kick this thing off. Tebow Mania is back in the NFL. Yes, sir. Mr. Tebow, who has not started since 2014, I believe it is. The last time that Tebow started an NFL game, Trevor Lawrence was 12 years old, who would now be, of course, his presumed quarterback going into the league. Um, Tebow Mania, what to make of this, guys? And is this actually something that's going to pan out, or is this just a publicity stunt? I think it's just a guy. I mean, this is the only situation would happen in Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. I mean, it took that kind of star alignment to get this guy even an opportunity. But I'd be really surprised if he makes the roster. I think first and foremost, the biggest thing is he's still not on the roster yet. Um, he's he's not he's not there. Um, yeah, obviously he's definitely going to be attracting people. That's what he's always done. Um, but there's no guaranteed money. If you're, if you're talking about a, a bad roster spot that someone is really not going to have an impact, especially if you're looking at like the league minimum, why not have someone who's going to have some jersey sales? I think it is interesting, especially at tight end, because Chris Manhurts, James O'Shaughnessy, Luke Farrell uh, is their tight end room right now, which is really bad, so it potentially opens that door for Tebow. But I'm pretty sure they're just signing him to be a professional friend for Trevor Lawrence. Both men of strong faith, both first-round quarterbacks, they're to mentor a little bit uh, and take some of that media attention off of Trevor as well so we can kind of focus on that game plan. Yeah, I'm just more so in the uh, business side of it, Mr. Khan. That guy knows how to make some money. And uh, between Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, their their pass at Florida, um, him being at Nice High School as well, I think he can come back there, put some butts in the uh, stands, and who knows what's going to happen. I mean, the worst comes the worst. They cut him at, at, for a league minimum, but the hype, the publicity is out there for a franchise that's lackluster, to say the least. I, well, I guess a hypothetical question for you guys uh, assuming he makes the roster, who do you think is going to have more jersey sales, him or Travis Etienne? Uh, it's not going to be Lawrence is going to win, but it's, it's, it's a legitimate question. I could see the Tebow. The, I mean, he has this like rabid fandom that doesn't pay attention to reason. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by the move. I, I guess you know the Tyler Urban got it done, but or at least got him an opportunity. But the whole reason he, he left the NFL, the reason why he didn't make it in the NFL is because the media circus, all the other attention didn't offset the contribution on the field. And it, I mean, is the third tight end contribution going to be enough to keep that kind of circus around? Well, here, here, exactly. Here's my problem with the Tebow signing. You've got a guy, Urban Meyer, that's never coached in the NFL. He comes into a Jacksonville roster, which is really, really, really bad. I mean, let, let's face it. They won one game last year, and it was week one. The rest of the year, they looked god-awful. So now Urban Meyer has to prove multiple things. He has to prove that he can win at the next level, and he has to prove that he can maintain the composure of a locker room that is built on professionals. Let's face it. Urban Meyer has not been good about managing college locker rooms. These are completely different scenarios, folks. 
So to bring in a guy like T- T- uh, Tebow, a 33-year-old that has not played in, what, seven years? I, 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 don't, I don't really know. Who could potentially replace a roster spot of a young guy that has worked his way up? I'm just saying, like, yes, will Tebow sell jerseys? Okay, awesome. What does Jacksonville want to do? Do they want to sell jerseys or do they want to start winning games again? And that's my biggest issue with Tebow is, is he going to create a distraction? Let's face it. Urban Meyer has already had multiple distractions. He, he had the flub with the strength uh, coach who just a really bad hire. And like, uh, you know, I've heard on a couple of different podcasts, he's a guy that's not used to answering to other people. Because that's how it is in college. You're, you you deal with media on a day-to-day basis. They're not constantly throwing out gotcha questions. They're not trying to trap you like you will be in the NFL. To me, this is just another bad managerial decision from Urban Meyer, who I don't think he's kind of seen the whole, the big picture. Like, bring, bring in Tebow. Okay, great. What, do the, are the distractions worth it? And so I agree with you there, Derek. Yeah, I think one of the takes I've seen for some some former players, some of the, the analysts that are former players, is what kind of message does this send to your roster where this guy gets an invite to camp just because he has a relationship with the head coach? It's not on ability. There's going to be guys who are more talented and can do more to add to that football team who are going to get cut if he makes the roster. Well, well you know, it's kind of like growing up. There's always a saying that we've heard. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And this is it's kind of the exact same thing. Like, Get over it. If, if if he's if he doesn't perform, I get it that he doesn't does maybe not he's not deserving of the spot. But if he doesn't perform, he won't be there. Uh, and ultimately, that's really what it's going to boil down to. Just a weird move for a guy who's never left a uh, organization better than he found it. <laughs> no lies told. <laughs> hey, he, bring, he brings titles though. Yeah, he brings titles, and then he burns the house down on his way out. <laughs> and so let, that heartburn starts kicking in. Let's let's talk about some other things. So our, our Instagram page has never had more fall unfollows or follows in the last couple days. <laughs> we have gotten just people. People are so sensitive about Tebow. Tebow mania is a real thing. People love the guy, and how could you not? The guy's an absolute legend. I mean, he apparently ran a touchdown in high school with a broken leg. He's tough as nails. Urban Meyer famously used to say in college that he was the strongest player on the roster. Period. Not just the strongest quarterback, not just the strongest, you know, team on their offense. He was the strongest player, period. Pound for pound, he said he's the strongest player he's ever seen. He, this is a guy who I think in his early 20s, mid-20s, could have made a serious impact at the role that he's now accepting at 33. So that's my biggest problem with the whole thing is why now? Why now? This guy could have done this seven years ago and probably been a great player in the NFL. I don't know I don't know if you remember his freshman year with the Gators when he was playing with Chris Leak and he wasn't a starting quarterback, but he would do these little short runs where he was essentially just a fullback. The guy was dominant at it. And he his rushing touchdowns in college football were absolutely terrifying. The guy was one of the best he's one of the greatest college football players of all time. So that's my biggest gripe with this whole thing is I, I, I think it's interesting and dude I want him to succeed I really do but why now why not why? seven years ago I think I think he has one more year that he needs uh, of time served to get lifetime benefits from the NFL if really I'm, <laughs> uh, 
Just kidding. But uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, no matter what, if he's if he does make the roster, he's going to be on my team. Fourteenth round, next to the last pick. Uh, we we need a little Tebow magic to uh, make us win a championship. I, I don't. My my issue has never been with him. I think I think he's a great guy. I think he's a, a role model. I mean, what what can you say bad about Tim Tebow? My issue with him has always been this like rabid fan base who does not want to to adhere to any kind of reality that the rest of us live in where they think that he's, you know, Hall of Fame's caliber quarterback and you know, he deserved to be in the NFL and he was somehow persecuted for being in the most powerful demographic in the in the country. Like I just, I don't understand it. He's I'm, he's a he's a straight white Christian. Like yeah, real persecuted group. <laughs> kind of is, but how awesome. <laughs> I mean, when you when you think about it, you talk about rooting for him. How exciting would it be like to have him randomly catch like ten or twelve touchdowns this year, and just Tebow made like everyone Tebowing at, the, at, at bars again. And he he one hundred percent could do that, but it's like I just don't understand why he decided. Oh, I'm gonna have a baseball career in between when he didn't play baseball in college. It's not like it was Jameis Winston who continued to play baseball. Like why all of a sudden you're like, ah, I'm not gonna accept a different role. I'm a quarterback, but really I'm a left fielder and not a good one. I mean, but what does it hurt, right? I don't think making the move hurts at all. We're talking like he has made the roster, and it's no guarantee. The publicity is good for the franchise. Like I said, you know, before when we were before the pod, Mr. Khan's a businessman, and I think it's a good decision at this point in time. And once uh, I, I think that we were talking about taking some of the pressure off of uh, Trevor Lawrence as well, coming in as a rookie where he's not going to have all the media flooded all around him. It'll be split a little bit because, like you said, Tebow mania, the cult will definitely be following and the media will go there where the clicks are. Imagine, imagine he throws a couple of interceptions and the crowd starts cheering for him to take over a quarterback. That is a good one. Oh man! But, but, see, but see, also exactly. that, that's not outside the realm of possibility. Not at all. It's not. We'll do it. Well, see, just like the, you know, you're talking about. We haven't talked about the Jags, Jacksonville Jaguars this much since they started really building a defense and beat Tomlin in the playoffs. What four years ago now? For they've been irrelevant since since they drafted Bortles. So. Uh, yeah, the buzz is coming to Jacksonville, and I'm, I'm all about it, man. So one offseason of publicity is going to be worth the possible dumpster fire that the distractions bring. That's that's my thing is if Jacksonville wants to become relevant again, they need to start winning football games again. He, if he, he was almost, quarterback, then yeah. If they were he, put, bringing him in as QB, I think that it would be a distraction. But he knows he's coming in there as tight end and tight end alone, and I think it can't hurt the team. You know? I don't know. I think it, it it's not a move that I would make as a head coach. You want to, you know, be taken seriously. It's a different level. You want to get away from some of the college antics. You know, have a, a certain level level of credibility, and then you fall back on your former quarterback who hasn't played in the NFL and the better part of a decade. Let me just well, ask this: besides the can, besides the can hurt argument, does anybody think honestly that he has a meaningful impact? On honest question: no. do, Does no. Tebow come He's in and have a good friend. season? Was that that's the, that's the that's the one tight end group where you look at it, and you're like. I mean, is he that much worse than these guys? <laughs> True. That's what well, I'm saying. Apparently, he had multiple workouts prior that Urban Urban Meyer wasn't at. Um, he said that on Chris Collinsworth's podcast with him uh, that he ran three different workouts with the Jacksonville Jaguar coaches, and they report, reported back to Urban that hey, what they saw was definitely somebody that could make the 53 man roster. So whether that's any truth or not, and or Urban's just making that up so he can you know get by signing him to a contract at this point in time we'll see but if they're right i mean 33 years old and he's been healthy hasn't been getting banged up who knows what he could do coming back on the field he doesn't like mean I said, that doesn't hurt the upsides there the downside is you got the publicity and you cut him 
he has the benefit of it being kind of a, a ambiguous position. Um, the tight end role can go a lot of different ways as far as what you can, you can put them out in space. They can come back in the backfield as a blocker. There's some ambiguity there. And I mean, look at your, your favorite team's roster. Who's their third tight end and how much of an impact does he really have on the team? Can Tebow match that for most teams? Unfortunately, the answer is probably like I, 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 it could be a situation where he sticks. Game one, Tebow hasn't been on the field yet for the Jaguars. They're shouting his name in the second quarter. That's my problem with this whole thing, guys. The, 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 Tebow, the Tebow mania thing, it's funny, too, because, dude, I, I don't disagree. Or I don't agree with the Colin Kaepernick comparisons. And yet, the number one argument that I hear against Colin Kaepernick coming back in the NFL is the circus that he brings. Yeah, I, and I think it's the same situation. Uh, I mean, do, do we know if he's... It's hard to compare a guy who who was willing to change positions uh, and fit in kind of a niche role. Um, so the first, and, and, and I don't think there, I think there's a difference in the circus. I think one wanted to be in a circus and wanted to have he, he was using the platform, albeit for for you know attempting meaningful change. He was orchestrating that. Where Tim Tebow flocks to him whether he wants it or not. Can can you guys just picture? Tebow coming in from the H back slot, running in motion, and you know uh, Lawrence is in shotgun and running an ISO behind him, and he just leads the guy into the end zone. That everyone is gonna lose their shit. The, the worst part is I can, like I, I legitimately can. <laughs> I can see that. I could see him getting used in a Taysom Hill like role where he gets a trick play. You have to look out for it. He wasn't a great thrower, but he could definitely put one downfield if it's a trick play. The guy's wide open. You just never know, man, with, with the way they're putting wrinkles in offenses nowadays. I definitely can see it as an option. I, I don't think it's out of the realm it, of possibility. It can't be worse than last year. It can't be worse than the last couple of years. Like, it, it, can it really get worse? No, it can't. Um, so, you know, everyone could debate and argue, but he's not going in for quarterback. So, you know, it's fun to talk about. It's fun to think about on both ends. But fact of the matter is they've got their guy and he's going to be there for a long time. We just need his fan base to be, you know, rational and, and calm. <laughs> I don't even need that. I just need him to understand why we actually make jokes and hate on Tebow. It's not because he's Christian. Fuck that. It's not, it has nothing to do with the fact that he's Christian. It's the fact that everything we're talking about now, I wish we were talking about seven years ago when it would have made a difference. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's my point on Tebow. He, he could have been a dominant wrinkle H-back. Like. Dominant, flex, like Klein Saucer, you know, Jim Klein Saucer, like these, one of these utility tight end fullback guys. Could have been fucking amazing. And that's that's the Tebow I wanted to see. Never rooted for this guy to fail. Always loved him. Thought, thought he, I mean, he, he's literally our same exact age, 33 years old. Grew up watching him destroy my Knowles all through college. Just one of the most dominating presences I've ever seen on the football field. Wanted to see him be useful on the field and the fact that he refused to do that because of his stubbornness to be a quarterback. That's why I hate, I hate Tim Tebow. It's nothing to do with anything else. But so today uh, in other news, we just, in, you know what? Tebow Manny, we just went 14 minutes on him. How about that? Uh, so, in other news, obviously the Aaron Rodgers news dominating right now. Um, they just go out and sign Bortles. <laughs> so, they got a ringer in Bortles. I think we can all agree. Uh, Derek, what did you say? They just doubled their playoff wins from tw- since yeah. 2017? Yeah, both uh, Blake Bortles and Aaron Rodgers since 2017 have won two playoff games. So. They've got to double it up. I know it doesn't mean much, but is this at least a sign that the Packers are mobilizing to move Aaron Rodgers? 
it's not a good sign if you're hoping he stays. Uh, it's definitely not a good sign. Yeah, and you know, plus they're bringing in other obviously uh, young guys to come in for camp, which is usually camp arms. But they're at least attempting to see what's out there and preparing for what could come. And uh, there's obviously there's a lot of rumors swirling. And I think what is gonna what could potentially hurt Green Bay the most is Devontae Adams jumping ship without him. Like, how do you want to go from catching passes from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love? Like, the, the those spoiled Packers fans have it coming for them. They've had two two good quarterbacks for the last what twenty five years. If, if you're Green Bay, you're sitting in position like you know what signing Bortles signals. Like, you're not you're not dumb. Like, you know, signing Bortles is gonna make people think that you know we're moving towards the whether it's a smokescreen, whether they're just operating and, and independent of that, and they don't care. It just it doesn't seem like a good sign. Well, do you think that even helps their trade position when they sign Bortles now? I mean, does that lower their chances of getting a better trade option when they do that? Not when for you're looking Rogers. at somebody that Aaron Rodgers, hey, he could say I'm going to sit out for a year. I mean, I think he's stubborn enough to do it and, and take off a year if they're not going to give him what he wants. I mean, you never know. I don't. I just still think that there's going to be enough. All, all it takes for a trade war is two teams to be interested, and you can't tell me there's not at least five who would give up whatever Green Bay's asked for, for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Houston might mortgage their future to get him too. Think think about how many franchises. I mean, he's still probably got three, you know, three to five years left. Think how many franchises he'd instantly become the best quarterback they've ever had in their history. But do you think he has a set of teams that he would only get traded to? Does he? Yeah. I'm sure he has a no trade clause. I mean, he's going to determine his future. Uh, I mean, you heard him on McAfee's show a lot when he was getting those, uh, whatever it was, Aaron Rodgers Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it was. He was expressing how the NBA players were getting to go where they wanted to, like James Harden, and he's got similar mindset and play for him. No, he yeah he, he's already picked some of the teams that he wants, but uh, at the, you know at start starting to feel like he'll go anywhere that can contend, and if he has just some control over what's going on, um, you know just a little power hungry, but you know sometimes you've you've earned a little bit of uh, leeway, even if you might be a bit douchey. And again, we've we've talked about this. Like he very much views himself as a trailblazer for players' rights. He he's a big players association guy he's trying to push the envelope on what players can get away with so that people after him have better uh, leverage against the ownership because yeah. the, the NFL PA is for, for how much money they make is proportionally the weakest PA there is in professional sports what do you think all right so yeah we, we, we've got the teams laid out that we've been handpicked that Rodgers is going to go what happens if just another team emerges like we heard about the rumor today that potentially, what, what if the Browns just made a ridiculous proposal for Aaron Rodgers, like where they threw out a bunch of first-round picks and Baker Mayfield and a, a variety of players, like was rumored? Um, what happens so, if one of these teams emerges out of the dust and Aaron Rodgers all of a sudden lands into clearly the best franchise? Yes, yeah, I think. Uh, wow, I think one of the uh, ESPN writers did kind of like a mock-up of like ten or twelve teams that it could potentially go to and the Browns one's scary a lot of, a lot of them obviously make sense uh, Titans were in there Tannehill and a couple first rounders and, and more often than not you're looking at young quarterbacks two first rounders sometimes three a bunch of value picks but could, I, I'd be I feel like Cleveland it has to be the best team in the NFL with Rodgers there like no no question in the world hands down um, without yeah, a doubt 
And they're they're going to be damn good this year, unfortunately. And the package I saw, the two first in Joku, makes sense. It gives Joku fresh scenery. Rogers doesn't throw to tight ends anyway, so you might as well unload him. And I mean, how good would that make OBJ? Disgusting. <laughs> OBJ's skill set. I mean, how much of De- of Devontae Adams is made by the connection he has with Aaron Rodgers? You can't tell me on pure ability, fully healthy, that OBJ is worse than Devontae Adams as far as a, an athletic skill set. I, I think that they could produce something similar to that shit i would look out for landry man he is a freaking reception machine rogers is that would fall in love with that oh yeah that, i mean that obj a, would ball out don't get me wrong but i see landry catching like 150 freaking receptions and aaron Rodgers offense where it's that click quick slant you know the back shoulder fade any of those and landry's proven to be a beast and durable cream hunt just absolutely torching people out of the backfield <laughs> it would be oh. Frightening. Well, don't forget the defense either, man. I mean, yep. to have a defense like that on the other side of the ball, I mean, that's that's big time. More but importantly, uh, what what if he followed suit of another famous Green Bay quarterback and found his way in Minnesota? Whoa. <laughs> 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 I like, why would he not just follow him for the rest of his career? Uh, you know, one of those tweener teams, um, obviously San Francisco would be hot, but like one of those tweener teams that if you have the elite guy, you're, you have – you're in contention, but I, I, there's not many teams that won't be in contention with him at the helm. How many games did the Packers win this year without Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> oh, four. Yeah. Four tops. Straight up. And all of a sudden, Aaron Jones isn't even a top 10 running back. And all of a sudden, this wide receiving core that, you know, is uh, what happens to like Tanyan? You know what I'm saying? Like this whole team just erodes without him. And so that's I think it goes all the way down to the point where like they're all their defense is meant to like slow down a track meet. Yeah, you yeah. can if you're playing a possession ball game against them, you could run all over that box. Oh yeah, uh, that, that team implodes. They probably win three games. That's why I think yeah. it never happens because yeah, the Packers is. are going to clutch him with their talons until the very last. It's going to have to be a tremendous offer, something that's not going to be worth a 37 year old quarterback in the end, or will it? Well, so, you know, right now, if you're Matt LaFleur, you're definitely trying to blow him to keep him there. Uh, he, he's on pace to have the, like, shatter the best winning percentage. Back-to-back 13-3 and three seasons to start your tenure. Uh, you, you don't want to take that jump off the cliff already. Um, and, but there's and, some... And, go ahead. Uh, there's, there's some franchises who, who might do that. Uh, you, you talk about, you know, what is the Super Bowl worth to a franchise? There's how many teams, how many teams haven't won one? I mean, I'm not saying the... I don't think the Lions are in it at all. They're not a fit, and they would never get traded in division. But a team like the Lions, who have never won, I mean, what, what's the, what's that one Super Bowl win worth? What's our most a repeated lot. take on this podcast throughout its history? It's probably you know us blowing Patrick Mahomes or whatever. But I think <laughs> I think a close second has got to be coming up. Kyle Shanahan, I was just destroying Kyle Shanahan this offseason. It has been the most repeated thing. And so the thing that cracks me up about Kyle Shanahan now is knowing now what they offered the Packers on draft day, that number three pick. Just imagine if they had all the draft capital that went into that num- getting acquiring that number three pick. Probably, conceivably, you could make could an argument that they could have landed him with everything that they, they gave the Dolphins. Because they didn't want the number three overall pick, or they would have made that trade. So yeah, a, pick, a pick that early is hard to move on draft day. Because you know Green Bay doesn't want to pick there. They think they have their quarterback already. They have lots of holes if they get rid of Aaron Rodgers. Like they're not going to want to pick at three. 
they'd rather pick at what was it 12 or 15 or whatever it was 12 and then have a bunch of other picks <laughs> yeah would you rather give up that capital and have Trey Lance or Aaron Rodgers it's just really that that simple what one is potentially going to win another Super Bowl in the next three years and one is going to be getting cut before his rookie contract so <laughs> it's like that it's like that meme it's like Trey Lance he could be anything he could be Aaron Rodgers <laughs> and 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 not to not to get off topic but has anyone noticed how quickly Trey Lance is already balding as a 20 year old kid no I hadn't even noticed that look like Greg Oden it's 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 thinning in all the like wrong weird places and it's going to be just so awkward it's, he's going to have to shave it all at 22 I mean, outside of Matt Hasselback, you don't see balding quarterbacks these days. Like it used to be, all balding quarterbacks back in the seventies. There's no balding quarterbacks anymore that are great. I'm pretty sure that draft Glennon is bald. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but, it, but it's like he's keeping it. like the hairlines up, and it's just got like thinning spots all over. He's gonna have he's gonna have a shaved head within two years. And if I could make a prop bet on it, I would promise you. It's funny. <laughs> well, I'm gonna transition into our next topic with that. Uh, how great would it be if Trevor Lawrence experienced some late 20s baldness? Um, <laughs> and speaking of that, so this is, this really is, we're doing an NFL pod in May. Those are always dicey. And normally you're reaching for subjects. We have a lot of subjects. This is why we just let off with Tebow and Aaron Rodgers and just, just did 24 minutes on it, folks. But the main point of this podcast is we want to talk about rookie fantasy projections. Uh, everyone on this podcast is obsessively involved in fantasy uh, we have a fantasy league where the last player in the league has to dress up like a unicorn we trot them out to the bar of our choosing we always choose the worst bar in the area because we want that person to just be treated like trash but just to give you an example of how how seriously we take this shit last place in our league just gets absolutely destroyed <laughs> So we want to talk about rookie fantasy projections. Um, it's an interesting year, an interesting draft, maybe one of the most interesting drafts in NFL history because we had a fragmented NCAA season. We had no combine leading into a draft where we don't really know what we have out of these guys. A lot of analysts seem like they really truly do. Most of these players, a lot of these guys that were drafted in this first round opted out their final year. So we don't know what a lot of these people have bringing to the table. Uh, but let's get this started. I, I pulled up the uh, Sports Illustrated uh, 2021 Rookie Fantasy Ratings, and I'm just going to lead it off just just straight out the shoot with Jamar Chase. Um, what what do you guys what do you guys think about Jamar Chase and is this guy going to have an what what do you think about his fantasy impact for year one? I think it's going to be pretty big. Um, he's going to step into the number one role right away that they tried to fill last year with AJ Green was just an absolute disaster. They couldn't get him the ball. Uh, so I think Chase has a very very strong year this year, um, at least a hundred targets. So I, I think he's going to fit in right away. Tyler Boyd's going to be a nice complimentary piece to him coming out of the slot and making things a little bit interesting. I don't know what's going to do to T. Higgins, but that's going to help out the coverage both ways. Uh, but he should be, you know, straight up number one wide receiver for them right away. I think it's big because it has to be. Um, you go out and get that guy. It's kind of a controversial pick. You go and add more, you know, edge presence when you needed probably some front line support. Um, but it, he's walking right into a really vacant role in that offense, and the familiarity with the quarterback is not going to hurt him. 
Well, um, Cincinnati should be giving up a lot of points. I know they keep trying to assure it. So how, how do you not like a number one receiver? I'm still I'm, – I, after seeing some highlights and stuff, because, you know, admittedly I don't watch – I didn't watch a lot of LSU stuff. Um, you know, there's going to be the question mark of was Joe Burrow the reason? Or uh, was that team the reason that some of the numbers were so impactful? Um I'm I'm still torn on him. I if I was if I was like in a dynasty keeper league, he wouldn't be my number one target, uh, just because of the question marks and where the ball goes. Um, wide receivers are crapshoot; they always have been. I mean, I think he can make an impact in that offense for sure with Joe Burrow, and especially with T. Higgins. I think it opens it up for him, especially more on the deep ball if they have to be true to Jamar Chase. I mean, I think that just adds to the offense. Um, I was a little bit upset with the pick when I first saw it because I thought Sewell should have been the pick for the Bengals uh, to help protect Joe Burrow. Um, seeing that they went offensive line, you know, the next pick, I, I was okay with it. I think Joe Burrow might even have had some say-so in getting Jamar Chase and drafting him and getting that other weapon. If we've seen from Tom Brady, you know, and um, – any of the big quarterbacks who have the weapons, they, they at least have three wide receivers. They got a tight end in there as well. And, and I think that helps complement the Bengals big time for Jamar. Well, so my, my point about Jamar Chase is, dude, I hated the pick, but just because of who was available, this guy's a freak of nature. Um, if you like Justin Jefferson, pause. The last year that Jamar Chase played was Justin Jefferson's last year, and he blew Justin Jefferson's stats out of the fucking water, folks. So this LSU wide receiving core that uh, Joe Burr was playing with was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Justin Jefferson, his last year with LSU, put up 1540 receiving yards and a ridiculous 18 touchdowns. Jamar Chase on the same offense put up 1780 receiving yards with 20, 20 receiving touchdowns. This guy is a freak of nature. There are some people that are making some lofty comparisons, uh, saying he's a generational talent. Um, he's he really is going to be a freak of nature. Uh, I think I think if if you're just looking at a value play, uh, this guy is going to be a freak. But what? How early can you justify taking him in a conventional fantasy draft? Well, they know when you PPR. Like, you know, sorry, like PPR. Was, of course. Well, yeah. Is there, there's actually other leagues that, that still exist. I don't play them. Um. So, uh, first round receivers generally haven't um, obviously. Jefferson's been a pretty big anomaly. Uh, not not monster numbers. Not like all pro Pro Bowl numbers coming from rookie receivers drafted in the first round, um, and and just rookies in general as they acclimate, you know, to the NFL. Um, so I guess that's where I would be hesitant. And I, nobody in the world thought Justin Jefferson was going to do what he did. Uh, so if you're going to, for me, um, I think you're still going to be wanting him in the same round that Jefferson. Jefferson went in like the seven to nine round. Um, I think, I mean, I promise you, Jamar Chase is going to be in that second to third round in a lot of leagues. But for me, I think you're looking at fifth, sixth round value. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that you kind of hit it there. I think a lot of leagues he's going to go earlier than he should. I think the hype will be really high. He probably does go second or third round. Um, if he's still there in the fourth, I mean, it's it's hard not to take wide receiver one. Uh, it's hard to take, not take wide receiver one in offense that's going to have to throw a lot yeah. and has a good quarterback and has a quarterback who's played with him before. So there's that trust factor. Um, I, I, if he's there in the fourth, he doesn't get past my pick. Interesting. 
Because we have Tyler Boyd going right now uh, in about the sixth round. He's picked 78 overall. So you would immediately put him in a PPR league uh, where Tyler Boyd should eat out of the slot there. That far ahead of Tyler Boyd, plus we have T. Higgins there, to take him in you know, second, third, fourth round. That's a great point. I think, I think his, people are forgetting I think his about touchdown share will be high though. Yeah, it they, they, they their positions do clash a bit, um, but it, it, it is an interesting. Uh, you know, Justin Jefferson. You got to remember about Justin Jefferson. He was a walk on at LSU. Jamar Chase was not that guy. I mean, he's a far four star recruit coming out of high school, um, a freak of nature from day one. Uh, it's really rare that you see a quarterback throwing to a guy that he already threw 23 touchdowns to, you know, at the college level. Um, but at the same time, Cincinnati already has a pretty good wide receiving core. And a guy that hasn't played in a year, the th- the struggles that you see with rookie wide receivers, they're all the same. You know, route running. Route running is not as, as necessary at the college level. So, I mean... This, this is a guy, and Justin Jefferson even had a slow start to last year. If he's not contributing till conceivably week four, can you justify a fourth-round pick? I think, that, I think that's a good you know knock against him for sure. Yeah, man, I don't see him going that early, at least in my book. You know, Maybe somebody takes a reach on it because they're an LSU fan or an alumni or something like that. Right. But that's definitely wide receivers way too deep, and there's way too many guys that you know are going to get more targets and they're not going to have that split between Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, who already have a rapport with Joe Burrow and him coming back. I'm sure him and Jamar Chase will get that spark. But similar to Justin Jefferson and other rookies, it does take that time to get to know the offense to make sure you're getting your timing right. And it depends on the position as well and where they decide to line him up. If he's going to respond well to that, we'll just have to see. But the other two wide receivers are proven. And to take him over Tyler Boyd, at T. Higgins, I could see maybe taking him over that just because of receptions and PPR like we talked about. But other than that, I wouldn't take him over Tyler Boyd. Uh, I, I think it's more when – I'm, when I'm looking at the like the Bengals receiving core here, I have more of a like New England Patriots type vibe where you're just not sure. Like the, the ball is going to be – they all should have good numbers uh, when it's all said and done. But if you want to justify like a high pick, you're hoping that he's going to – Obviously, he's not going to score 20 touchdowns as a rookie, but you're you're hoping for you know top three, top four receiver numbers at you know at that high of a pick. Um, Again, I think he gets those receptions. You see, Gio Bernard is gone too, who ate into a lot of that in that offense. Gio Bernard's a great back uh, catcher out of the backfield, and he definitely ate into those receptions. And a guy like Jamar Chase in the slot, I think he will pick up those you know easy quick slants or maybe a quick out and get those little yards in those PPRs later in the in the year. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think he's kind of a luxury pick. You have to feel pretty strong about your your early draft picks that he's going to progress and be, get those wide receiver one returns probably around week 9, 10, 11 and that's where you want to be in in that playoff contention. For sure. Yeah. So if you if, if if you have that luxury, he's he's a guy that you want to gamble on. I mean, to say he could have the season that Justin Jefferson had is a stretch. Um, but I, I think I think the guy, you know, if you, if you're going for upside, there's no one better in this draft. And I want to expand this conversation out a little bit because this was a really interesting draft in terms of wide receivers. 2019, we have possibly some all pros coming out of this class. 
you know, with CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson. I think even guys like Judy, who we haven't seen much out of, are still going to explode in this league. Guys in like Claypool in the second round who were, you know, putting up four touchdown games. But in this draft, I don't think we're going to see that. And yet, still, we saw a bunch of teams reaching in the top 10 for these wide receivers. Uh, what do you guys think about this wide receiving class as a whole? Uh, and from a fantasy perspective, is there anybody that jumps off the board at you besides Jamar Chase that could really contribute uh, and be a year one guy that could be a sleeper? I think in terms of sleeper, I think the, the class is pretty underwhelming as a whole. I think we just because we want to look at a class, we're always going to focus from a fantasy perspective on the offensive guys. So you put a little bit more emphasis on the wide receivers and the running backs. It's probably a little bit of an underwhelming class. But just in terms of people that got good uh, you know, draft places, good opportunity costs going into here, it's going to be like Amon Ross St. Brown and Nico Collins, who's huge, who could be a starter day one in Houston, as well as Amon Ross St. Brown in Detroit, where they just have basically nobody in their wide receiver room, even though he has a fourth round draft pick capital. Uh, those two guys have great landing spots who I think are a little bit under the radar that could earn a great opportunity going into this year and could be a nice sleeper. See, I'm, I'm so pumped that you brought that one up. And, and I, I hate divulging some things I like. Um, I'm still a big Amari Rogers fan, but uh, Jason actually, Jason and I just talked about the, like how not, there's not much depth in this draft as a whole for every, every place, every position. Um, I am starting to ride a little bit more on the Kadarius Tony train, but um, Elijah Moore should have some fair numbers. But Nico Collins, I think, is my biggest sleeper. Um, third round, lo- love love the size, love the athletic ability coming out of Michigan. Uh, maybe lacked the opportunity at times with some terrible terrible quarterback play. Um, and there's there's no one else to throw the ball to um, in, in Houston. I, th- I think he is going to have some huge upside. And for me, if you want a sleeper that's going to have the best production out of this receiver class, it is going to be him. Um, I think he'll be a top three or four um, uh, rookie receiver when when this year is done. Yeah, I like the. I mean, I think those are both good picks. Um, it's hard to say because I think this guy's going to be the third receiver. I like his his kind of his frame, kind of the, the void he could fill, um, but. I think Terrace Marshall was a really good fit for Carolina. Um, he won't have any of that pressure. He's not going to be drawing the, the top corner. Robbie Anderson and, and DJ Moore are going to be taking the best that the other team has to offer from a coverage standpoint. And I, I think Sam Darnold's going to be throwing the ball a lot. I love Terrace Marshall, too. And it's funny, you know, you can pull the stats up on Twitter that when he and Jamar Chase were healthy, Terrace Marshall's stats were actually better. Um, so I, I hate the landing spot for him just because it's a crowded wide receiver room, but that man uh, has a lot of talent. I mean, I definitely like the Tony as a sleeper, especially in New York. When you have Saquon Barkley coming back, he's going to draw a lot of attention. You get a lot of one-on-ones, and, and that guy, I don't know if you've seen him in and out of his cuts, but, I mean, I'm telling you, he stops on a dime, and I think that'll help Danny Dimes as well be able to get some time or maybe get just some quick dropbacks, quick releases out of the backfield, stop him from running around too much and getting sacked, sacked fumbles, and turning it over with some of those late interceptions I think that's a sleeper for me at that wide receiver class. I think there's some wasted guys in this draft too. Guys that kind of blew me out of the water in terms of what their physical skills were, but that got drafted into bad positions. And I'm talking about Rondell Moore right now, who I think is one of these just burner guys. 
um, who I, I, I think he can do a lot for, for an NFL team. Uh, I think he could do a lot in like a Andy Reid type offense, but he, he joins an Arizona Cardinals team, and I, I hated the pick from the beginning, who has this ridiculously crowded wide receiver room. <laughs> you were so pissed. <laughs> so pissed and just confused. Like, what are you doing? You have enough receivers. Stop drafting them. Like, I know he kind of fell to them or whatever, but um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, it's interesting with fantasy. You, you have talent versus opportunity. And I think guys like Randall Moore, who, who I think really would have had a, a good rookie season otherwise or just kind of kind of be drowned out by their opportunities and their situation yeah see now uh, I, th- I think my favorite argument out of what all five of us kind of just like brought up was maybe maybe not favorite but i was watching uh the with the hot blonde with the the analytics she does all the analytics on nfl network um uh freeland freeland you have to be more so specific she, yeah, so they were talking about um, <laughs> so they were talking about the Panthers and how uh, um, it's going to be super hard for the Jets to score Week One. I know we'll talk about Week One coming in because they're playing the Panthers. Uh, I'm I'm just laughing about it because the Panthers had a pretty terrible defense. They finished top, like top 18, roughly 18 to 20 for most of their statistics, and um, everyone's just talking about how how tough and rough the the Panthers defense will be. Yeah, that's uh, there's a couple other guys. I mean, we talk about this, you know, the good fits, bad fits. I like Trey Sermon in San Francisco. That that running back group never seems to stay healthy, so he can almost be the last man standing, just kind of on attrition. Um, Rashad Bateman. It, it, that's one of those situations where I like that he's clearly the most talented wide receiver in that room, but then he also has <laughs> Lamar attempting to throw to him, so it's. Well, Where see, does that balance? You mentioned Sermon, so let's just launch into it. Uh, running backs, let, 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 let's go into it. Obviously, the, the biggest impact player, biggest em- impact position from a fantasy perspective is always going to be running backs. But it's an, interest, it's an interesting position because so often you see players that we think we know what they're all about, and then they burst onto the seam and, and they have all these expectations and they don't quite match them. Uh, obviously, as recently as last year with uh, Edward Tiller, um, this is a guy who people were touting him as the next Westbrook, going to be guaranteed to be a top five running back, you know, surefire first rounders. I've, I've heard that so often with rookie running backs, and I think there's some traps in this draft. I think we're seeing him early, um, and I, I think it's really going to screw over some people's drafts. Well, let's go ahead and talk about running backs. Uh, who who is a surefire starter if there is one in this draft? Najee. Yeah, not, not, Najee Harris is, is a no brainer. Um, it's a perfect mix of of player and system need. Like I mean, need. to me, that's the biggest slam dunk. Um, Benny Snell is his competition. Yep. I mean, come on, man, <laughs> the guys. It's he's starting right from the get go, and he's got good hands out of the backfield. Big Ben's coming back. He's got a veteran there at that position. I think he could definitely shine and make the biggest impact off the get go. Um, Travis Etienne is definitely intriguing to me just because I mean what is he a running back or a wide receiver I think it's more of like an Alvin Kamara type position where you see him catching the ball out of the backfield you see him getting those maybe those zone reads because obviously they're going to use Trevor Lawrence 
in that read option. There's no way that they don't, especially with Urban Meyer coming in as the coach. So he, he's very interesting as well. But James Robinson had such a good year last year. It just kind of depends where they are there, if they're going to use him as a third down back and have James Robinson tote the ball a little bit more. Uh, that'll just be interesting to see as the offseason and preseason plays out. Well, Drew, you mentioned traps, uh, and, and I know we just talked about Trey Sermon. I think Trey Sermon is a trap, especially if you're in your rookie draft uh, right now, if you're a dynasty league. I mean, they still have Raheem Mostert, still have Jeff Wilson. They brought in Wayne Gallman in the offseason. They did spend a third-round draft capital on Trey, so that gives him some some clout. But I think that's just a really crowded room, and especially for returns this year, you can't really you know rely on Trey Sermon. There's a guy that's basically free in Javian Hawkins. He went undrafted, but the Atlanta Falcons running back room, uh, I mean, it just has Mike Davis, Kadri Olison, uh, Tony Brooks James. That guy has the same opportunity to be the number one back in Atlanta as Trey Sermon may, and it may even a better opportunity than Trey Sermon does in San Francisco. Hey, unless they get the Mike Davis that they just had in Carolina, I mean, he shined for sure. He stepped up after McCaffrey went down. I can't remember who had him in fantasy, but that was definitely a uh, plus for your team if you had Mike Davis last year. Fucking Renee. <laughs> and then and then you also look at that offense. I mean, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, who doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. I know he doesn't score touchdowns, so you don't have to worry about that coming away. And then you add Kyle Pitts to the mix as well. I mean, that's that, that offense, I'm not looking forward to playing them twice a year as the Bucks. So, uh, Najee Harris, we, I think we all like Najee Harris. I mean, the system, everything. But how far, how, how early are you drafting this guy? And I'm not talking about in Dynasty. I'm talking about in stand, standard PPR leagues. Like, you got to look at some of these guys towards the top, and it gets really dicey. Like, are you drafting him over Eckler? You know what I'm saying? Or are you drafting him over uh, Cam Akers? A guy who burst onto the scene last year and is obviously a stud from last year's class. Uh, Harris, he goes into a good situation. Every Steelers running back besides most recent is, is always seems to be successful. But is this a different Steelers team without the line that they've had for so many years? And in well, the, the, the system, it just really hasn't panned out for running backs in recent years. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked that. I'd, I'd be happy to answer. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that your sound value is mid to late second, early third. Um, so everyone, everyone's praising the Steelers offensive line. Like it was some godsend uh, last year, which it was terrible last year. Uh, but the lack of running backs was that, like no production. That was terrible too. So it was a perfect storm to not be able to run the ball, which is why you throw the football 50 times a game. Uh, and a lot of very short passes, get it out quick because they struggled. So, yeah, Pouncey wasn't what he was. So you're going to be replacing him with a rookie. Uh, uh, Villanueva, he's uh, old Andre, Derek's uh, old shower mate at Army. Um, yeah, he, he's in Baltimore now, but he hasn't produced in a few years. So, <laughs> well, so, so we're not on camera now, but uh, – Derek's measuring both of his arms for when him and uh, Alejandro were in the shower together <laughs> and, in the be- and in the bedroom. But um, they're, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't think that the line's going to be as bad as it was. So I think you're going to have solid value with Najee in the second. And I promise you, he will not be getting past the second in any leagues that I'm in. Um, so See, that's that, but, uh, that, that's interesting to me because the early. The early just projections, fantasy projections, they have him way out of the second round. 
And so that it is interesting though, because you can always say like like just just on top of your head, like okay, yeah, he's a second round guy until you actually look at who you're taking him ahead of. So I got to ask you again: Are you taking him ahead of Cam Akers? Yeah no. or nay? No. See, no. so are, are you taking him? Are you taking him ahead of Antonio Gibson? Nay or yay? Yes. 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 Okay. Yes. Interesting. See that that makes it more interesting. Now, are you taking him ahead of Joe Mixon? Yes. Yeah. No. I, I, I think he. I think, I think he has a clearer role. To me, like I, I like guys with really. I, I mean, honestly, I'm iffy on Cam Akers just because there are other running backs they like. They there are, are they like Malcolm Brown around the goal line. But Malcolm Brown's gone. Okay, so they like. I mean, they like Henderson around the goal line. Like they, for whatever reason, I, I they're almost Patriot esque in the fact that I don't trust that running back group. Well, I, I, I think when you, I think when you look at the playoffs, I think that kind of changes it. That has to, that has to get you high on Cam Akers. But as far as the, you know, the bringing up Joe Mixon, I think uh, one of the biggest uh, running backs that JC had a boner for was Chris Evans, who got drafted by the Bengals late. And I think you're going to be seeing a lot of reps taken. And, and obviously, Joe Mixon's been—he's got a huge history of being hurt. Uh, it's not he, like he just—he's been under—he's been underperforming um, for what was expected of him. You know, since he's been in the league, um, I don't know. I think I mean I love, do love Chris Evans. I hated the landing spot. Joe Mixon can do everything Chris Evans can do better. Joe Mixon is a phenomenal receiving back. They just haven't used him like that. That's more Cincinnati's problem than his problem. But I do think like Najee Harris should be that top uh, top end RB two. Uh, McVay did come out and say that they want to run more like the, the offense like they did when they went to the Super Bowl, run through the offense or run through the running back. So I think Acres is going to be featured a lot more this year now that they have Stafford. But in front of guys like Eckler, Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, I'm much more comfortable with Najee Harris there. Agreed. Sure. So, JC, I want you to lead off this segment, but I do want to talk about a guy because he's a little bit controversial just in terms of, you know, a lot of people have him really high on their lists in terms of what rookie running backs are going to do. And, and you mentioned it pre-pod. Let's talk about Javante Williams from Denver. Uh, some people have him really ranked high. And if you look at that, running back room it's very crowded like we mentioned with san francisco but possibly there's some news uh, what, what are your takes on javante williams yeah javante is really tough and we'll have to see how things kind of go into camp and what kind of stability they come out with what i would project for javante williams right now is similar to cam Akers last year that he'll uh, not have a ton of carries for the first you know maybe half of the season but it'll kind of come on towards the end of the year uh but the there is a potential cap casualty um, with Melvin Gordon. So if he gets released, obviously Javante's stock goes way up. So if you're drafting early, take Javante, especially in dynasty leagues, be, be happy with it. But, um, you know, if Melvin Gordon does stay there, you're looking for later returns and that guy that could help you win through the playoffs like Cam Akers did last year if it, things stand the way they are. So another guy that I like, you know, sticking out running backs and, and you talk about, you know, fit and opportunity and, and what they could produce. Um, if you look at the New York Jets, Tevin Coleman, when was the last time that he finished the season? His style of, of running lends it. He's a little guy who tries to run like he's big. Like he, he He's not going to finish the season. He just never does. Ty Johnson, I didn't know, was an NFL football player until I looked up their depth <laughs> chart. Uh, so then you got Michael Carter, who they took in this draft. I think he has all the opportunity in the world to be a contributor. You talk about James Robinson earlier. I think he has the opportunity to be a James Robinson. The guy is a little bit off the radar, and the stars kind of align to give him an opportunity, and he just never gives it back. Yeah, I'd be worried. I'd, for me, I'm worried about both of those running backs. Um, I, I'm not nearly as high as uh, 
pretty much everyone was on either of them. Um, I know Javante Williams had some like first round running back uh, like talk of talks, but I, I hate both of those running backs. Nothing's really going to change my mind. There's nothing special about them. Um, they both average roughly like what right around eight yards a carry. Uh, but I think you're looking at a scheme kind of thing and um, a weak ACC and everyone more worried about Sam Howell than than their talent uh, specifically. Okay. Um, I kind of disagree. I was a North Carolina football fan. Uh, I love both of these guys. I think Javante Williams um, is kind of a jack of all trades, but he has a next gear that uh, is a little bit better than like Devin Singletary or one of those guys. Michael Carr is just incredibly quick. Um, I don't personally. I don't see him as like a three down back or a guy that can be the first one. But the, the room is terrible. Ty Johnson was pretty good last year when he did come into play. Uh, but yeah, Michael Carter could finish as an RB2 next year, depending on how that offense goes. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much background noise coming from Marcus's room. Uh, <laughs> clink, clink, clink. Uh, yeah, so Michael Carter, he's an interesting name. Obviously, these, these uh, rankings are going to be adjusted like crazy, but I pulled up, you know, some composite rankings. He is ranked really, really low. So if, if you want to, you know, target some guys that could potentially have some, I don't know, what, what would you say his ceiling is? Maybe like a Gaskins from last year? A uh, guy, guy that could potentially come on a little bit later? I'm not really sure, but yeah, I mean, he's got a great opportunity. Everyone's trying to find their next James Robinson. So guys like that, you know, later in the draft, if nobody's, if nobody's grabbed that guy by Let's say, you know, he's your running back three, running back four. I think it's definitely worth a gamble on a guy like that. But, um, yeah, it's just such a crapshoot, especially in the later rounds with these running backs. Some people are so high on some people, and then some guys will come from the fifth or fourth round that you've never even heard of that will all of a sudden be a contributor day one. It's just – it's really interesting. It's so based on opportunity. Yeah, when you, when you get late in that draft, I like I don't even pay attention to skill, honestly. I'm like, what is this guy's path to being RB1? Right. If he, if he has a shorter path, I'll take a, a lesser skilled guy over, you know, an ultra talented guy who's RB4 to start the season. For sure. Well, why not a handcuff like Chuba, uh, Chuba Hubbard in Carolina with Christian McCaffrey? I mean, if anybody's toted the rock and maybe could have some upside, Christian, you know, he got hurt last year. He's been a little banged up. Maybe Carolina, they gave him that monster contract and they want to take a little of that pressure on off of him. Why not fill it in with the rookie there? And if he does get hurt again, I think Chuba Hubbard could be something interesting Interesting in a late reach pick in the draft. Especially because last year they showed us that their offense, regardless of who the running back is, is predicated on incorporating the running back. So, you know, if, if McCaffrey goes down again, they're still going to throw the ball to the running back. Yeah, and, and after McCaffrey drops 40 points week one against the Jets, Bubba Chubba Hubbard, he's going he's gonna to have some nice touches to start it off. <laughs> I mean, you know, I I don't think it. I don't think there's enough history to say it yet. But I've been saying it since his rookie year. Christian McCaffrey's a tiny man with tiny ankles. Uh, this, this 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 is this is a guy who I think could potentially have injury issues going forward. Um, so I think Chuba Hubbard he could be a good uh, cuff for a guy like say Marcus, whose entire fantasy team is reliant on his production. Um, because if you didn't have Mike Davis last year and you didn't give him in the waivers after McCaffrey got hurt, you were fucked. So, yeah, if you got guys like McCaffrey that got hurt last year, you probably do want to cuff him with a talented guy that might be hanging on the roster like Chuba. Oh, you won't believe how early I take Madison this year. <laughs> <laughs> I could believe it for sure. 
All right, let's launch into the, what everyone really wants to talk about, which is quarterbacks. Um, you know, 10 years ago, this wasn't even that interesting of a discussion. It really wasn't. If you, if you look, looked at, look at rookie quarterbacks, look at the touchdown records for rookie quarterbacks. How many of these players have played in the last seven years? The point is, guys are coming in better prepared, more equipped for the next level than ever before. Guys like Herbert, I never thought could exist just four years ago. Herbert's season last year just really just blew my mind. I mean, this is a guy that I truly believe was he didn't it didn't reflect maybe on the stat sheet, but at times when I was watching him play the Saints, I mean, I was looking at this guy going, "This is the next best thing in the NFL," and it's so weird saying this about a guy who plays in the same division as Patrick Mahomes who passed for over 50 touchdowns his second year in the league. My point is guys are contributing at an earlier time than any time before in the NFL. We have a rookie class that's coming in where some people are crazy high on, some people are ridiculously low on. Um, What to make of this rookie class? And are there any Justin Herberts to be found in this class? Justin Fields. Um, Justin Fields, I think, is your closest comparison. Um, super, Everyone's super high on him, uh, then super low. Maybe, like, different points in their career. It's, like, ultra-talented. Uh, and I, I know, like, we're not, we're not going to get into the week one stuff just quite yet. Um, but he, he, he has the best uh, uh, supporting cast, I think, when you talk about Nagy system, which is a, which is a, a son or child of the Andy Reid system. Uh, obviously, Allen Robinson being out there um, is going to be huge. Uh, so if, if you're looking for someone who, who can really light it up this year, it's going to be Justin Fields. From a fantasy perspective? Oh, for, for, for sure. If, if, he, if, he, if he gets the lead, a thousand percent. I mean, that's just interesting considering Andy Dalton's a QB1 on that team. <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 not for long. But, but 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 also, but Justin Herbert wasn't QB one uh, either going into until week two when Tyrod Taylor got his shot. Until so if you're syringe. talking about a full comparison, <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a great syringe. It was the best thing that could have happened to the Chargers. So you're talking about you want um, a syringe to come in week two for Andy Dalton. Uh, it's not going to be a syringe. It's going to be Jalen Ramsey picking him off three times in week one, and Harold, <laughs> Aaron Donald eat, eating him. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking fantasy production, not like like Justin Herbert, who was throwing 400-yard ball games, I, I am intrigued by Trey Lance. I said it before the draft as well that it was very interesting. And if I was going to take a flyer on anybody, I, I would take him over Mac Jones just because of the upside there. And to know that Kyle Shanahan and those guys, after watching all these quarterbacks, analyzing them, I trust Kyle Shanahan when you talk about offense. The guy's proven time and time again to get the team there. They haven't got quite over the hump. But to see them take that round pick on on Trey Lance is very, very intriguing. And if Jimmy G comes out like he has these past couple years, just like Marcus said, he may not start off the bat, but I definitely see him coming in maybe in week three at the max if they drop a couple games. And it would be really interesting to see him, especially the physical freak that that kid is. I know it's a small sample size, but when Kyle Shanahan thinks he can fit him into the offense, that that gets my my brain moving. Well, as the guy who was the biggest uh, Herbert proponent, and and of course was you know nailed that one completely, 
Um, I think <laughs> from a fantasy application, as much as I hate saying it, I don't really like him from a football standpoint. I think I think Zach Wilson has a really clear path to being a contributor. Um, I, I believe in Salah a lot. I think he's going to have a really good game plan implemented, and he's got tools, and he's going to be a day one starter. Uh, you look at Trey Lance, I don't think he's going to be a day one starter. Fields won't be a day one starter. Um, I think Lawrence will, but that roster, I, I think the Jets roster is actually better than the Jaguars roster. Yeah, it's just trying to take the intriguing pick, you know. I mean, uh, Trevor Lawrence, obviously he's going to be a contributor right off the bat. With Etienne, with those guys, he's day one starter, no matter what, number one overall pick. Um, Zach Wilson, he's got a great deep ball, but I don't know if I believe in the Jets' offensive line, and I think Salah will definitely lean more so on the defense and a running game to try to protect him than kind of just turn Zach Wilson loose. I don't see them really letting it fly unless they're down by a lot of points. And, and if they're in the game, Salah's going to want to win. There's no tanking there. If you saw him in San Francisco, that guy is extremely intense. I think he can turn the franchise around, um, but I think it's going to take some time, and he's not just going to let Zach Wilson be throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game. They're going to try to control the clock, let that defense do some work, and, and go from there. So that, that's why I just think the intriguing pick to me is, is Trey Lance going into not as a starter, but at least in week two or three coming into the games. And I think he even still might have some packages in week one, week two, where you see him on the field. I think uh, Justin Fields is going to have better stats this year than Trevor Lawrence. Um, I think he's going to be <clears throat> probably the, the probably the uh, offensive rookie of the year for the NFC. Uh, I think he'll end up probably starting week one and take that job from Andy Dalton just to kind of get things moving. And I think Zach Wilson's going to struggle a lot. I don't think his numbers are going to be uh, any better than uh, Sam Darnold's were. See, I got to disagree with that. I don't think I don't think Justin Fields, I think he might actually be, out of all the quarterbacks we're talking about, I think he might be the last quarterback that starts. Uh, mostly because I think the Bears are just dumb. Um, and I think that they make bad decisions. <laughs> well, yeah. I also think that they brought in Andy Dalton because they actually believe that he could be a starting quarterback in the league. And potentially they buy into the hype that Justin Fields is a guy that potentially needs to sit uh, I think the reason Justin Fields comes in is because that coaching staff feels the heat once they realize that Andy Dalton isn't the guy. So I, I I think he could come in, but out of all these quarterbacks we just talked about, I think he comes in prior to Trey Lance, but I think Zach Wilson starts day one. Um, I like what I see about the guy. I, I think he's going to have a really rough start to the NFL. I, I really do, but I could see him kind of getting it together maybe by week six um, on a bad team. Uh, the guy to own clearly is Trevor Lawrence. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, 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 you look at Trevor Lawrence's wide receiving core; it's actually pretty good. Um, and you know, they, they bring they bring in Marvin Jones. Uh, they have Chenault, uh, and obviously, uh, what? Why am I forgetting their best wide receiver? Uh, Chark, DJ Chark, because yeah. he was hurt all year. Yeah, I mean, Chark my, is, he's, but he's really talented. I mean, this is a good wide receiving core and a good quarterback. Um, so Trevor Lawrence, they got Tim Tebow at tight end. Exactly. And they got Tim Tebow at tight end, like <laughs> difference maker, leader, a uh, guy that can lead them from a spiritual level. Tim Tebow is their probably. guy, but no, I, Trevor Lawrence. I, I really do think I, I I've been very vocal about it. It's interesting. Cause I think he might actually have some of the most quarterback competition to start 
but there's no way they're not trotting this guy out week one, in my opinion. Um, so and, he's your pretty lady quarterback out of him he, and Lawrence. He out of him and Wilson. Or Wilson. He is the prettiest. He's he's the bell of the ball. Uh, in fact, I, I'm I'm going to go ahead and say Trevor Lawrence has at least 30 total touchdowns this year. Um, I, I think that he's going to be a ridiculous threat in the red zone. 6'6", six, six, guy's got wheels. We're talking about a dude that's just going to be able to lunge forward on the goal line and get so many touchdowns. Cam Newton-like, just in size and just stature. Um, I really do believe this guy is going to be dominant at the next level. Uh, he's, he's, he's not a sexy pick, but I do like saying that Zach Wilson, from a fantasy perspective, I really do think that this guy could be just one of these outlier dudes that everyone kind of sleeps on. Well, obviously not everyone slept on. He was a number two overall pick in the draft. But just watching this guy's tape, rocket release, uh, the guy can throw down field. He's athletic enough. He, the, I, I, I've gotten ripped for, for comparing him, but he reminds me of Patrick Mahomes in a lot of weird ways. Just just in kind of the yeah. way that they play, almost almost like this rugby style, like Sandlot style of football, where they're kind of just like they look like kids out there. And I, I just well, love the, the guy's energy. Beyond the ro- like the rollout and on the run passing, he does have an arm. They, I mean, that's one thing that everybody was talking about, and you saw it in his games too. Uh, you can't deny that. But I wouldn't be going comparison him to uh, doing a comparison of Patrick Mahomes just yet. Just you know, we their styles, not I mean, greatness. If, if it, if anything, Patrick Mahomes showed us in the Super Bowl that even he could make plays without an offensive line. I don't see Zach Wilson being able to make plays like that without an offensive line. And then, like I said, the Jets have struggled there, and I think they're going to lean heavy on that defense and, and the run game to try to protect that kid and not letting him throw the ball that much. Um, and, and in response to the Bears, I think that's going to be the hardest job to win for one of these rookies with Andy Dalton. I know that we talk about Andy Dalton, and we kind of try to rag on him at Andy Dalton's average, you know, the red rifle but he was in cincinnati for all those years his career winning record is 74 66 and 2 i mean the guy can win you ball games and that chicago roster they're set to win games and if they don't lose if andy dalton can manage the game enough and not turn it over and they're winning Nagy and that gm this is their final year if they don't win if they don't go to the playoffs if they don't make some moves uh, they're not going to they're not going to be there next year and if Andy Dalton's winning games I don't see them pulling him out just to throw a rookie in there that could cost them all their jobs even mid-season if they're if they do that and they're losing if, yeah, if, anyone, if anyone wants to take bets on when Justin Fields will start it's no later than week two 100 percent yeah I'll take the under on there I, my, I, my my issue with that is I'll so, take the over for sure for first so, over easy I'll take that money start. for you there's no way they don't start Dalton week one. And then yeah, when, no, when, Dalton's definitely starting week one. But here's here's and, my issue: is do they go straight to Fields or do they go to Foles first? Oh, they they go straight to Fields against Cincinnati week two. Uh, they, Dalton, pay, Dalton, they pay Foles twenty million dollars for the hell of it. Yeah, I don't think I don't, I don't know how much yeah, is guaranteed. They're a terrible organization. Yeah, <laughs> that's my point. They're a terrible organization. They probably go to Foles second. And the reason they brought in Dalton is because they didn't think Fields was going to be there. I thought he was going at three. They're able to trade right. up and get him. Now they're going to start him the way that they should because they got the guy that they need to. And Drew, I don't know what you saw in Zach Wilson. I thought his tape was terrible, especially when he's under pressure against like Boise State, Coastal Carolina. He looked awful. He's throwing from a clean pocket, throwing a one-on-one coverage to his six-foot-five wide receivers that are bailing out his badly placed balls. It's, it's, not it's, good. It's, it's, it's the quick release. He does have a very quick, quick release fast in the release. arm. Yeah. 
and, and, and throw him from the weird right. angles. So, so, so have, you seen him face, have you seen him face tapped over to a woman? <laughs> so how many freak athletes is he playing with at, at BYU? The, the things that I loved about his team. More, more than he plays against. For sure. Yeah, and they're all six foot five. Their receivers are huge. They're on five, five, five wide every play. Everyone's in man coverage. He has a clean pocket for eight seconds every play. It's not that hard. He's playing seven on seven. Height is the only thing that makes a wide receiver. Just ask FSU over the years. Not even close. Um, yeah, I mean, it, your, your, your points seem to be that his receivers are tall. Cool. Now he's actually playing with some athletic guys. Guys that, that, guys that he can use that arm to lead. I, 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 I disagree with your assessment on Zach Wilson, and, and I was one of his biggest critics going into the draft. I just watched this guy's reel, and there's things about him that just translate to the next level. Quick release. Um, the, his ability to improvise, especially in today's game. The, the, the guy, he, he does. He busts out a lot, and, and, he, and he's a little bit uh, feet happy in the pocket. Those are things that can be taught. What can't be taught? Quick release rocket arm and that's what i like about the guy i'm just i'm just i'm just kind of saying him as almost like a i've come around to zach wilson uh and i think he's a sexy pick just given his situation who's competing with zach wilson in that quarterback room nobody so he's going to get the start from day one that's my point from a fantasy perspective you want a guy that's at least going to get reps you're saying that you can guarantee justin fields before week two i think that's fucking silly I'll take the over. I'll take the over easily. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he didn't have Sam Darnold didn't have any competition either. It doesn't mean he's going to put up numbers. It could still be terrible. And I can fix your 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 highlight reel infatuation with Wilson. Just go watch Boise State. Go watch Coastal Carolina. I promise you, we can talk afterwards, and and you'll be fixed. Laser rocket arm. You want to see me throw this football over that mountains? <laughs> I, I I legit think that uh, halfway through this year, Andy Dalton could be cut, and Nick Foles could be the number two. Uh, Andy Dalton's got over 70% of his contract paid out as a signing bonus. Um, so, just, yeah, he's, you know, just he's a, the guy that goes for sure. It's just yeah, funny because, sure. you know, talking about a guy who you think is deeply flawed based on tape, but that has these uh, fundamental skills. I think of Patrick Mahomes, a guy who obviously fell in the draft because of a lot of things that you're saying right now. I, so I yeah I, I I disagree with your assessment on Zach Wilson. What I don't disagree with your assessment on is that I don't know who who needed to hear this today. I think it might be Kurt, but Andy Dalton is a really bad quarterback. He's been a really <laughs> bad quarterback his entire career. Look at his stat sheet last year on a juggernaut offense. He passed for twenty one hundred yards, had fourteen touchdowns and eight picks. He was a bad offensive line, but we're talking about a ridiculous amount of weapons. Um, I don't think Andy Dalton deserves to start in this league, but I think he will start for way longer than he should on a Chicago Bears offense that clearly has a better guy behind him. But the Bears will nobody be Bears, said. and they'll give him more chances than he deserves. This is a, this is a team that tried that it out full. He's a great quarterback, that's for sure. But to put him in that situation, I think he can win those games, and it is a better offensive line. I, I don't know if you saw the game where Andy Dalton got absolutely 
destroyed by I think it was a linebacker defensive lineman and nobody helped that dude up off the ground from the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> dude left him there lying for dead that I've never seen that in a football game let alone a professional football game in my life dude I don't blame Andy Dalton for a lot of what went down in Dallas last year and I'm not saying he's a great quarterback but the winning percentage is there for a guy who was on the fucking Cincinnati Bengals who were trash for the longest time and, and to see him with a winning record there is pretty damn impressive and a completion percentage he could do well in Aggie's offense and with that Chicago defense and the weapons they have there where he could be a little bit better protected with that offensive line Why well, I am curious because I, I gotta assume JC you, you probably were a big Trubitsky guy over Mahomes in that draft huh no, North Carolina <laughs> fan. I knew Trubisky wasn't uh, fantastic. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, one of my infatuations with Zach Wilson came out of uh, Chris Sims' quarterback picks. Who He became the sexy oh. guy because he's he's really has. He, he's made some splashes um, just in recent years. And he blew everyone's minds when he clearly made just the ridiculous pick of saying that Zach Wilson is the best quarterback in this draft. We also blew a lot of minds when he said that Lamar Jackson was the best quarterback in the draft that he went in. Um, and I don't think a lot of people were even close to being on board with that. The Zach Wilson inclusion is interesting. <laughs> I do want to talk about one of the guy just because he, he is close to my heart just in terms of what my team just did. But he also has Kellen Mond at number four. So <laughs> as sexy as the Zach Wilson pick is at number one, the Kellen Mond at four to me just destroys his entire list. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it is funny because pe- people talk up his list really, really highly. Um, if you look, he has some guys like Haskins he thought was going to be really, really good. Um, who's the guy from uh, 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 Cal? Who I'm, or, or, sorry, UCLA. Sorry, UCLA. Josh Rosen. Rosen. Josh Rosen. He was really high in Rosen. So, you know, pe- people like to say, like, he's he's been infallible. He's had some, some really bad picks over the years. Putting Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence is pretty bold, though. I will say that. Trash. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's, he also had Javian Hawkins as his number two running back overall, and that dude went undrafted. Yeah. So. And I, I just I just want to be clear. My, my draft rankings have not differed. I have Justin Fields as the clear number two in this draft, but I just want to just give a shout out to Zach Wilson, who I've been talking shit about the entire offseason, who I've kind of come around to. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, talk about rookies and, and expectations and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of hype. What are you guys' takes on Kyle Pitts? The greatest tight end that hasn't played in the NFL yet. Destined to disappoint. Yep. So I'm glad you brought this up. So from from a historical perspective, there has never been a historically great rookie tight end. You want to know the only 1,000-yard producer ever at the tight end position in history? Mike Dicka, 1961. A (laughs) 1,076-yard season. I was thinking Aaron Hernandez. Another well, great. He, he actually took it. It, it was a second year, two or three, I think, is when he kind of blossomed. Yeah, he had 563 yards his rookie year. Hmm. Good, good season. 
but but I will say number eight for a tight end. I'm kind of pumped to watch it. I'm, I'm, I'm it's gonna be kind of awesome. Uh, so I give him that credit. But um, so the the way the tight end class has really worked the last few years, it's been kind of wild. Uh, I was just talking about T.J. Hawkinson and Evan Ingram, both uh, receivers that kind of averaged in that ten to twelve point range, like nothing spectacular, got you by. They were tight end two and three. It let down every single week in fantasy, but literally tight end two and three or three and four, somewhere in there. So it's it's really hard to justify tight ends. It's You're either going to be pissed or it's going to pay off huge. I, I don't think he is a tight end. They, they might list him as a tight end, but he's going to line up everywhere. I mean, to me, it's it's a good pick for the Falcons. It adds another wrinkle to their offense, and they have Matt Ryan, who they retained, which a lot of people thought they were going with Fields and that Matt Ryan might get shopped or they were going to get Fields and have to back up Matt Ryan. So I thought the pick was pretty intriguing and showed that the Falcons think they can win you know, right away. And with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, you also have Hayden Hurst at the tight end there, which also diversifies that. He could be more of a blocker and being able to release out. But, you know, I think Kyle Pitts can fit in that offense and he can make a big impact for sure, especially if the Falcons are playing from behind like they did most of last year. And they may trade Julio. They say it's about 50-50. Yeah, so, so I'm, uh, th- that's kind of where I was about to lead into. I'm kind of torn on what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with Julio but assuming Julio stays, do you guys think that Kyle Pitts um, improved how many touchdowns? Like, could, could we be like Julio gets? Could we be seeing double-digit touchdowns from Julio now that there's another like big athletic target um, sitting out there? Not not just like a good target like Calvin Ridley, but a big target. Matt <laughs> no, Ryan I think loves Kyle Pitts takes him. <laughs> I think he takes the touchdowns. Julio never scored him to begin with. If you had him in fantasy, you were riding Julio out for the yards and for the receptions, the PPR. I think Kyle Pitts could be that role where he comes in. Maybe doesn't he's not going to hit a thousand yards receiving or anything like that, but he could hit big numbers and touchdowns for certain. Yeah, Julio Jones if, is literally always Ryan's- playing with good wide receivers his entire career. He's, he's had exactly one season with 10 touchdowns ever. If Matt Ryan's love for tight ends can make Austin Hooper a tight end one, Kyle Pitts is going to have a bunch. A bunch. Like, there's no doubt. So, the the... I, I hated the pits. I think it's such a bad fucking draft pick. I mean, this is the team that has to win right now. Their quarterback is about to die. He's like two years from dying. Um, he He's not... This guy is done. And it's so funny how they're still trying to build a team around Matt Ryan. I think it's embarrassing. I really do. Like, you're still trying to bring this team to Matt Ryan? Like, holy shit. You could have had all these talents at quarterback in this draft, and you're still trying to give uh, Matt Ryan weapons. I think it's ridiculous. Um, and if you look at the history of tight ends, like I said, there's only been 1,000-yard uh, contributor ever in their history. And the list is terrible. Like, you got guys like Jeremy Shockey that are number two. Like, yeah, he had a fucking dominant <laughs> rookie year, but you're not going to get these dominant tight ends. They, like, don't exist. Like I was talking about with quarterbacks who are contributing earlier and earlier, you're actually seeing the opposite with tight ends. Guys that are dominating the league right now, Kittle, Kelsey, these aren't first-round picks. These aren't guys that are drafted in the top 10. A lot of these top 10 guys, they flub. They aren't They aren't good in the NFL. So I, okay. I agree with Newman's article that he wrote. Uh, it was a terrible pick for Atlanta for so many reasons. And I just think that he's going to be one of these tweener guys that, like, 
he's not going to be this tight end, like this dominant guy. I don't know. I'd I, 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 I stay away from him in fantasy. Someone's going to value him more than you will. Way too high. Way too high. Yep. So, so speaking of way too high, if, if he was – what round would it be for you to take Kyle Pitts as your tight end? I mean, that's way late. We take tight ends mostly late anyhow in the draft, and you're talking about a rookie who's splitting a lot of receptions. I'm just saying from a rookie standpoint, and, and it's an intriguing pick, and late and around a late flyer there because I believe the touchdown value's there. Maybe not so much the PPR and that he's going to catch you, like I said, a 1,000 yards or something like that, but he, he could increase your touchdown percentages late in the year. And if you know a lot of those tight ends like Kyle Rudolph, anybody that knows they got them way late or they get them in free agent wa- waiver wires, and that guy ends up scoring 9 to 12 touchdowns on the season with like 150 yards receiving on the year. But those touchdowns come in handy when the tight end field was so scarce last year with dominance or with productivity. Well, yeah, no, but my question is, what like like individually, what round would you guys each take Kyle Pitts in? And what what to say the twelve man PPR standard, like you know standard PPR? Let's say let's say Kelsey goes you know somewhere in the back half of two, Kittle probably go somewhere in three, um, Kyle Pitts like seven or eight maybe maybe nine. I think that's the problem. I think that's kind of what Drew mentioned too. Is he's going to go two rounds behind Kittle, and that's probably at least two rounds too soon. Yeah. So I just won't be drafting him at all. Somebody just, will grab him. Do you, do you like Pitts or do you like Hawkinson more? Hawkinson, right? Like, and there, there's some guys who are in that that fifth round range who I, I mean, do you like do you like Pitts or Fant? Fant, 100. percent Right. Like there, yeah, there's yeah. there's guys in that mold who I think I, I trust more. And then there's kind of to me there's two methodologies. Either you pick Kittle and Kelsey where they land. Or you just wait till like round ten. How many can't Whoa. miss tight ends have just busted all over your draft board? It happens every fucking year. Last year is Hayden Hurst. Zach Hurts. The last year, people were really high on like Hayden Hurst. So like at every tight end in Atlanta, despite an entire career of never showing that he can be this guy that he's projected to be, he was. People are like, oh, he's a can't miss guy. He he's going to be one of the sleepers in this draft. How many years has Jared Cook disappointed you? You know what I'm saying? And Jared Cook, I think, is a similar mold to Pitts, this ultra-athletic guy who's going to be like the speedster kind of tweener tight end. I'm just saying. And here's my conundrum with the position is if you take a guy really early, you don't take your second guy until really late right? because you give so much value. So if that guy gets hurt at a very injury-prone position, your backup's trash. And, it, and if it, no matter where you pick, it's like the balance of like when I take my first tight end versus my second, I almost like to take them both late. So like even if my first guy gets hurt, what's the drop off? Right. You can't. It, it's hard to give them a premium value pick. I mean, if you, if you get a wide receiver hurt, what are you losing? I, I don't use tight so ends deep. as a premium pick. You know, I don't you think you do for my, unless you get you know, unless you get Kittle. And, and my example is that Zach Ertz, who was a dominant tight end at one point in time. He was Carson Wentz's go-to, and that was like, damn, he was kicking ass, taking names. And then next thing you know, Dallas Goddard gets drafted, and he's plucking touchdowns out of the air left and right. And you're getting him as a second-string tight end with more productivity than the listed starter. I think you can find that more often than not at the tight end position late, late in the draft. Like, I'm not taking Kyle Pitts anytime in the draft because, just like you said, 
I think that somebody's going to take him way early right after those tight ends start flying off the board. It's like the first defense taken if you play with a defense and special teams in your league. It's Now it's the the domino effect. Yeah. The, the Bears, now i got to get the 49ers, and it's it, that's how it goes at tight end, and somebody's going to do it with Kyle Pitts for sure. It's Here's just not me. Here's what you do. You wait till like around like 11 or 12 and you take good old faithful. Take Kyle Rudolph. He's going to get you one catch for seven yards and a touchdown. That's all you need. Yep. <laughs> Every other week. That's what I was saying earlier. It's if he's there, they're, they're late and they'll catch the touchdowns. That's what your tight end is there take your, for. Take your, take your 7.7 points and move on to next week. Kyle Rudolph is a great point, dude. I'm just saying no position has ever disappointed quite like tight end. It busts every year and it's because of scarcity. So people reach desperately at tight end but it's just so funny how you see it it's a cyclical thing and every year you see it and i see right now uh on this composite rating i'm looking at uh i see pitts is ranked as the 10th tight end i guarantee you as it approaches he's gonna he's gonna escalate and people are just gonna start buying into this and he's all of a sudden gonna be a top five tight end in your league stay away from this guy hey does everyone remembers the career of bob trumpy right Top 10 all-time receiving yards for tight end, right? John Mackey, <laughs> you guys big John Mackey guys? What about in Charlie Madden. Young? In Madden, for sure. Keith Jackson. These are all guys in the top 10 overall for receiving yards for tight ends of the rookie season. They never do well, ever. It's like Eric Ebron when he came out. Ebron, and he was a point. flub. His best season was when you took him. I think I, he just had his best season like two years ago, or I think it was like two or three years ago. And he went late, late, yeah, in Indy. And he went late in the draft. And that was, he was a dominant force at that point. But when he came out of college, everybody was, Eric Ebron's going to be the next Antonio Gates. He's going to be the next this and um, complete so, flop. So, so I, I think we're kind of talking like OJ Howard uh, um, range right now. Taking what six overall by Tampa, gonna be the best, and uh, he's pretty much done. Well, then look I at think, the guys I think it's the tough best. to judge that though with the injuries that he's had. I mean, I think him and Tom Brady would have had a hell of a different year last year if he doesn't get hurt, just because he is that kind of freak. And Tom Brady would make him better. But when you have OJ Howard running with Jameis Winston and, and that team at that point in time, pretty tough to do to say he's done or he's out. I'm not saying I would have taken him in the first round, so we could call that a bust because they took him in that round. But I still think he's got a lot ahead of him and some productivity for certain. For sure, and in, and in four years he has 105 catches. So he's gonna be so end. good. He's gonna be so good in New England. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of New England, uh, uh, Derek, you big Russ Francis guy? No idea who that is. He's the best uh, rookie tight end in New England's history. It's crazy, right? <laughs> no way. Uh, Gronk had 10 touchdowns his first his rookie year. Russ Russ Francis had more yards, 639 wow. yards. Wow. Yep. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so stay away from the position, folks. It's not going to do you well. All right, guys. Any, anything else? Any any last thoughts? Closing arguments? So uh, something I saw that was kind of interesting, uh, you know, talk about fantasy football. Uh, week seven, you, you look at how you want to shape your draft. Week seven is an especially brutal week for buys. So you have the 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 Buffalo Bills. So you lose Allen Diggs. You have the Cowboys. You know, so Zeke, Dak, Amari, Lamb. You have the Vikings with Dalvin, Justin Jefferson, Thielen. You have the Steelers, Claypool, Juju, Deontay, Najee Harris, Ben. The Chargers with Eckler, Herbert, wow. Keenan Allen, 
and the Jacksonville Jaguars, NTN, Shark, Trevor Lawrence. Week seven's a fucking bloodbath. Um, wow. I didn't know that because the schedules just got released, and so now we get to finally <laughs> look at them all. Um, um, how, like, I guess, interested and anxious is everyone? I guess maybe not necessarily from a fantasy perspective, but like week 17 and week 18 uh, this year, it's going to be, it's going to be completely different. Week 18 is all division games. It's going to be kind of like just wild. And how does this affect how long our fantasy seasons go? Do we just add one week to everything for regular season? Does it go to the playoffs? I think we learned last year and you know, it's hard to make a sample size of a one be meaningful. Uh, but anecdotally, it made the last week way more exciting last year. Having yeah. it, it go for you know having the the short the expanded playoff field, um, really had more up for grabs. The, the play-ins are awesome, man. Like you can't bring the high. Like it is such an exciting time. Even if you're not a fan of the team, when it's do or die like that, win and you're in. And a lot of those teams can go on a run. You know, we've seen wild card teams take runs in the playoffs and win Super Bowls. And those are some of the most fun stories in the NFL. That's why I think those playing games are awesome. And and the hype is going to be awesome at the end of the year with that extra game, especially it being divisional. It's going to have some meaning in some of these areas, whether you're getting a buy in the playoffs or not. And they're not going to be able to afford to sit their starters like a lot of the times happens at the end of the year where we see teams resting players to make sure they don't get injured before the playoffs and you're scrambling to find that free agent waiver wire to fill the role of your best player who's now sitting out in the most important time in your fantasy league. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I just got to give a shout out for my closing remarks. Uh, I, I can't say enough about this guy. Uh, he's one of the greatest running backs in college history. Travis Etienne, who gets drafted into the Jaguars. Watch out for this guy. I truly believe this this guy is a special talent. Um, I think he's going to be unbelievable in the NFL. He gets drafted, obviously, with James Robinson, which makes his situation murky. But if you're in a, uh, a dynasty league, uh, you got to think that this guy is just going to be something special. He, he actually reminds me a lot of, of, of Dalvin Cook. And one of the st- stats that just pops out about me, about me with this guy is a, his ability to find the end zone is something ridiculous. 78 college touchdowns. If you rank that against every quarterback in the draft, the only player that has more college touchdowns at, at the quarterback level is Trevor Lawrence. Uh, this guy has been a machine since he was a freshman. Uh, he probably could have came out last year. Um, I love him so much, and I think he's just going to be a dynamic threat in the NFL. He matches so much what you want uh, with with current NFL systems. Uh, I think, obviously, he's going to have a lot of his carries eaten up uh, early on by a really good running back in Robinson. But this is a guy you got to play the long play with, especially in Dynasty Leagues. Etienne is going to be a, a top-five running back eventually in this league. Alvin Kamara-esque. That's what I think more yep. so than anything. It was like Alvin Kamara with him. So another fun schedule highlight I just noticed, uh, by the way, and you can't tell me this was a coincidence. So Tom Brady is 1,154 yards short of passing Drew Brees for all-time uh, passing yard leader. He av- Last season, he averaged just under 290 yards, which puts him on pace to break that record in week four in New England. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. Anybody but else? It, it, it is, it's going to be tough, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> and oh, by the way, $1,200, those tickets in New England starting at. I believe it. Oh, yeah. 
All right. Well, we got to get some. Uh, we got to actually put some cheddar on this whole Justin Fields argument. I think you guys are way off base on that. We'll be, and I'm we'll happy to win it. some money from you guys. Uh, Found me in. From all of us here at the Sports Memory, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, guys, and have a great night.